right. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Uh, I think next Wednesday is like March 1st or something, which means I won't be here next week because we're back to the first Wednesday of the month. I thought I would just say that right up front. Um, last week when I was teaching, I talked about books and um, and I think I named the teaching the value of books, if I remember correctly. So I thought I would start today by sharing with you a book that I think has value uh, that you might not know about. It's on my Kindle. Um, so I took a picture of it on my phone so I could show it to you. Uh, this is the book. Um, it's called Awake. And then there's a little, a little tiny uh, subtitle down here. See if I can show you the little, oops, I lost the picture. See if I can show you the little tiny subtitle. I don't know, this is too hard to do. Oh, can you see the little tiny subtitle? Can anybody see what that says? It says, it's your turn, right? Awake, uh, it's your turn. And it's by a fellow by the name of Angelo. I think it's Delilo is how you pronounce it. Angelo Delilo. Um, I think this book has value. Uh, and in fact, if you go on Amazon and read the reviews, well, in fact, let me just show you the reviews real quick. Not all of them, but I mean, just the general on top. Look at that, five-star reviews, 497 reviewers. Pretty good. You know, you very seldom see anything with five stars, right? It's usually four and a half at best. Four and a half is really, really good. Um, so I just thought I would share that with you uh, because I don't think I, I don't think we've really talked about Angelo around here before. Um, and so maybe some of y'all will feel like looking at that book and, and see if it has anything in it for you, but I think it might. It's a good book. It's very direct, very straightforward, very clear. Um, so we're here for the seven steps to awakening. These quotes aren't necessarily as direct, as straightforward, as clear. <laughs> they are once you contemplate them, but when you first read some of them, the mind says, what the heck? <laughs> Do you guys agree if you've read it? <laughs> it, it requires contemplation. Um, and today we're going to start with quote 210. <clears throat> 2.10 says, whose being neither intellect nor reason knows this is the eternal that thou art whose being neither intellect nor reason knows this is the eternal that thou art so i'm going to Go into out of the stillness and open up to number 210 and read what was written when this was contemplated. One can know the true self because it is the true self. Or another way to say that is one can know the true self because you are the true self, right? This is why you can know it. One can know the true self because it is the true self. Mind cannot know the true self because the true self is before mind. And um, 
Oh, I see Brian Tom O'Connor shared that with us too. Is that the book I just shared, Rhoda? Is that what you're referring to? Oh, good, good. So you have heard of it before. Yeah, so there you got yeah. two good, really good recommendations, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's a good book. Um, so this says, mind cannot know the true self because the true self is before mind. Several years ago, back when we were in Pal Talk, a, a symbol came to me, and we actually have that same symbol here in Zoom. It's on the chat window. Um, when I come into the chat window, when I come into Zoom and I look at the chat window, I can read everything that's in the chat window after I entered. But I can't read anything in the chat window prior to me entering. I have no idea what you guys were talking about all morning long. I cannot know what's before me, before me being here, right? And it's the same thing with mind. Mind cannot know the true self because it's before, you see, right? Uh, and, and again, we talked about this last week. Let me just remind us again of the objective of step one. Know that a journey that never goes beyond words, ideas, thoughts, or concepts is not a journey to awakening. Know that a journey that never goes beyond words, ideas, thoughts, or concepts is not a journey to awakening. So what this is really saying is that awakening doesn't happen at the level of mind. And again, what we're seeing here is why? Because awakening is before mind. I mean, awakening exists right now. You know what we call it? Awakening, awakeness, the awakened one, whatever. It's already here, but mind doesn't know it. And a part of the problem that we all face until we don't face it anymore is that we're trying to know it with mind. And this is where we seek and seek and seek and don't find because we're literally looking in the wrong place, right? That's the problem. So again, looking at 210 and out of the stillness, one can know the true self because it is the true self. Mind cannot know the true self because the true self is before mind. One identified with mind may try many paths to self through mind. Each of these paths must ultimately fail because mind's paths all end in dead end. If this process is experienced enough times, mind responds by saying there is no true self. Nothing exists that is outside of or before mind. This is what mind says, right? But this is not so. Mind becoming aware of its own limited nature does not imply that limitless does not exist. It only proves that limitlessness does not exist in mind. This is when one must begin to seriously question, what am I? And what's interesting to me about this journal entry now, uh, as I you know reread it with you, is that here it is at the end of step one. Um, so what this says to me is that when I got to the end of step one, I had reached that clarity 
uh, that awakening had nothing to do with mind. I can also tell you when I entered step one, I did not yet have that clarity, right? When I entered step one, I was still trying to understand. You know, there was this idea that I could learn truth at the mental level and then be it, right? Learn it and be it. And by the time I got to the end of step one, I no longer had that idea. So what this tells me is that contemplating step one had an effect, right? It met its objective. By me spending so much time reading those quotes and contemplating those quotes, a literal shift happened, uh, which was valuable because now I could approach uh, the spiritual path from a different angle, from an angle of knowing that this is experiential. This is an experiential journey as opposed to a learning with the mind type of journey. So I'll just read 210 again, and then we'll just move right on. One can know the true self because it is the true self. Mind cannot know the true self because the true self is before mind. One identified with mind may try many paths to the true self through mind. Each of these paths must ultimately fail because mind's paths all end in dead end. If this process is experienced enough times, mind responds by saying there is no true self. Nothing exists that is outside of or before mind. This is not so. Mind becoming aware of its own limited nature does not imply that limitlessness does not exist. It only proves that limitlessness does not exist in mind. This is when one must begin to seriously question, what am I? In other words, up until this point, um, I was identified with mind, right? And in fact, I remember one realization that came in this year. I don't remember exactly when, could have been around the end of step one. Um, but I just want to make sure it was 12 and not 11. I think it was 12. 2012 is when I was doing step one. So that's why I'm saying I hope the realization wasn't 11, 2011, but I think it was 2012. Pretty sure it was, yes. So I had a realization that I may have shared with y'all before, um, that both the wrong mind and the right mind were within what I am. And that what I am is beyond both the wrong mind and the right mind. Uh, up until I had that realization, uh, I thought the right mind was the goal, which, you know, certainly it, 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 the right mind is the goal when the wrong mind is what you're occupied with, right? But I mean, I thought the right mind was the end of the path. I thought that once you were able to function from the right mind, you were awake or you were enlightened. And what happened for me as I, as I, you know, approached being able to live probably 90% um, of the time from right mind, 
I came to see that that wasn't the goal. I call it a false peak. You know, if you go hiking, sometimes it looks like the top of the mountain and you get up there and you're, oh, there's the top of the mountain. We're almost there. And you get up there and you realize it was just a little thing like this. And behind it was a bigger peak. <laughs> you know, it's a false peak. So the right mind was the false peak. And as I was approaching being able to live from the right mind completely, uh, that's when I discovered uh, that the right mind was something that I could see, just like I could see the wrong mind, right? It, it, it became an object rather than a goal. Um, so again, that's something that's being pointed to by this is that once you realize that awakening isn't in the mind at all, including not in the right mind, you have to start asking, what am I? Because even when you're reaching for the right mind, which again, I don't discourage, you know, because living in the wrong mind is suffering. Living in the right mind is peace, right? Living in the right mind is, is the real world, as the Course in Miracles would say. Um, but if you're, if you're living in the right mind and thinking, this is what I am, you're actually still identified with mind. And so when that dawning occurred that I could see the right mind, that was a huge moment. And I can't remember what it was, um, but I remember the day I had that realization that night uh, I saw something in A Course in Miracles that said that so very clearly. You know how sometimes when a, a confirmation will just show up for you. I don't even remember what it was that I read, so I can't point you to it. But I remember thinking, oh, my God, that was here the whole time. <laughs> I never saw it. I never saw it until I had the realization myself. And so as the realization comes, I'm not only not the wrong mind, but I am not the right mind. Well, then the next natural question becomes, what am I? I mean, I'm not mind at all. So what am I? And this, of course, is what 210 is pointing to. Let me just read it one more time. One can know the true self because it is the true self. Mind cannot know the true self because true self is before mind. Right? True self is what sees the mind sees both the right mind and the wrong mind it it sees the mind the mind does not see it one identified with mind may try many paths to the true self through mind each of these paths must ultimately fail because mind's paths all end in dead end if this process is experienced enough times Mind responds by saying there is no true self. Nothing exists that is outside of or before mind. This is not so. Um, the image that just came to me as I was reading was that I had lived in a room all my life. And because I lived in a room all my life, I said there's nothing outside of the room. Right? And that's not true, right? <laughs> just because I don't know anything outside of the room doesn't mean there's nothing outside of the room. And this is the same kind of idea. 
if this process is experienced enough times, mind responds by saying there is no true self. Nothing exists that is outside of or before mind. This is not so. Mind becoming aware of its own limited nature does not imply that limitlessness does not exist. It only proves that limitlessness does not exist in mind. This is when one must begin to seriously question, what am I, right? I'm not mind, what am I? So the last quote that we're gonna look at in step one is quote number 212. An eloquent voice, a stream of words, skill in explaining the teaching and the learning of the learned. These bring enjoyment, but not freedom. An eloquent voice, a stream of words, skill in explaining the teaching and the learning of the learned. <laughs> These bring enjoyment, but not freedom. There is a, a thrill that we all get that eventually we have to let go of. The, and that, that's the thrill of intellectually understanding another and maybe even a higher spiritual concept, right? It's like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> you know? And at some point, uh, that has to be let go of. Because if it's not let go of, what happens is we there are intellectual insights that we have along the way. I don't want to say intellectual insights are wrong or bad, so please don't misunderstand me. But at some point, the intellectual insights that need to occur have occurred, right? Like that stage has been complete. And if we're attached to the thrill of the intellectual insight, we will extend that stage beyond its usefulness and start going in search of something in some new book that will give me another intellectual insight, right? So, so uh, we need to just know intuitively when, you know, this, you know, I understand all that I need to understand, right? There just comes a point. I think I mentioned last week that if I had, when I started the spiritual path, had a book that told you, you know, very briefly, how to awaken, you know, focus on self-attention to the exclusion of all else, for example, I wouldn't even have known what that sentence meant. <laughs> so it would have been very useful. <laughs> I could have had the secret right in front of me and, and it wouldn't have done anything. So there was learning that had to occur. There were insights that had to occur, including the insight of what self-attention means, right? What that actually means. Um, but at some point, you have intellectually all that you need. But if you've become addicted to the little high, to the little thrill of intellectual understanding, again, you might extend that stage by going search of that thrill, right? That high rather than actual awakening. So it's something you want to just be aware of. Right. Know intuitively when, OK, I, I've got the understanding, you know, now, for the most part, I can put down the books um, and I can focus on the practice. But also, as I mentioned last week, the books still have some value even then. Uh, it's the value of inspiration. Right. The value of getting you excited to practice. 
one other tool that I use, I don't remember if I told you this last week or not, um, but one other tool that I use is I use uh, good guided meditations, not, not just any guided meditation, <laughs> uh, but I use good guided meditations. I love to start meditating with a guided meditation. I, uh, yeah, I'm going like this, I like to put my headphones on too. I like to start with a guided meditation that leads me into the practice in a very direct way, right? It helps to quiet the mind. It helps to focus the mind on the practice. It helps to get the heart and the mind excited about the practice. And then I follow uh, the meditation with quiet. And in fact, let me show you how I do this. And this morning, I actually didn't do this. So, uh, so I don't know exactly what this page will look like because I didn't do it just this morning. And my memory doesn't go as far back as yesterday. Uh, but I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to show you how I do this. Uh, so I'm going to go to, I have my own little YouTube channel. And I've created a playlist called Guided Meditations, which isn't very long yet. And this is where I keep my favorite guided meditations. And, you know, I add some to it. But then I also have another playlist called Meditate Today. Oh, yeah. So you can tell this was the meditation I did yesterday. So yesterday I did this meditation. But then notice it's followed by two different videos, 13 hours, which trust me, I've never gotten to all 13 hours. 13 hours of pure silence. Um, and some of my med meditations are much shorter than this one. This one's pretty long. But when I use this one, I usually can meditate for like three hours pretty easily, right? Once I've been guided in for that long. Some of my guided meditations are only 15 minutes long. Sometimes I'll move like a loving consciousness meditation up here. You know, so I might move a loving consciousness meditation up here. Uh, let's see. Remove this one. Oops, I didn't mean to play it. Remove this one. And then I would do a loving consciousness followed by silence, right? In this video, we are going Oops. to discuss the first three things to do. That meditation. So uh, the reason I'm showing you this, and I don't know, maybe there's another way to do this, and I just wasn't smart enough to figure it out. But the reason I'm showing you that I use this, this playlist followed by silence is because I was at first using guided meditations that I liked in YouTube and I was going in, you know, really deep and just getting ready to meditate. And then some other video would start playing. <laughs> I don't know if you've had that experience. And I tried and tried to figure out how to not make that happen. And I couldn't, maybe there's a way, and if somebody knows, we'll let you share it in just a moment. Uh, but by creating my own little meditate today playlist with those two videos of silence, I can put whatever guided meditations I want on top of that. But then when the meditation ends, I have 13 hours of silence. Nothing's going to fall. Nothing's going to disturb me until I'm ready to quit. Right. So that's why I wanted to show you. It allowed me to get around that YouTube autoplay. And I'll just stop. Does anybody else know another way of getting around the YouTube autoplay? So if you want to listen to a guided meditation, someone said stop autoplay. I tried yeah. that, but I couldn't find it. How do you do that? Um, I can look it up and send it to you later, the how-to, okay. but you can do it. It's just a toggle on and off. Well, I used to, it used to be right up there and you could see it easily. And that's what I used to do. But with the newer version of YouTube, I haven't been able to find it again. So I just went to using this Meditate Today playlist. But, um, but the point is, you know, whether we can figure out how to turn off the autoplay or whether you create your own little playlist, 
you know, I like to use the guided meditations to bring me in, but then I want silence, right? I want silence. So that's just another tool I use. And the purpose of that tool is to get me focused and excited, right? Focused and excited. So that by the time the silence starts, I am really into the meditation. Um, someone once said to me that a teacher told them you should not use guided meditations. You know why? If it if it's making you excited to meditate, if it's making you helping you focus, why wouldn't you use a guided meditation? Um, but I always make sure I'm using guided meditations that have the same goal I have, right? Uh, rather than some guided meditation that's imagining myself in a golden globe and you know, with all these beautiful sparkles. And, you know, I always make sure it's a what I call a good meditation. The meditation has the same goal I have. It's bringing me right into self-inquiry or right into loving consciousness or right into awareness, watching awareness. And then it leaves me there so that I can focus. And, and something is happening, at least now. Uh, I think I've told you all before that I am one who has always had resistance to meditation. And this is one reason why I trick myself into loving meditation by doing things like listening to guided meditations first, <laughs> right? Uh, that's why I do that. But what's happening now is that I am starting to get excited. Like in the afternoon and evening, I'm getting excited about tomorrow morning and my next opportunity to meditate. I've never felt that before. That's new, right? So apparently these tools are working. Like I said, this morning, I didn't even use a tool, right? Um, so let's see, why did I get into all that? I know, let's go back and read the quote. Oh, yeah, because it says an eloquent voice, a stream of words, skill in explaining the teaching and the learning of the learned. These bring enjoyment, but not freedom. Uh, the point is that, again, you have to learn some stuff, but at some point, it's about the experience. You know, the experience, the experience of meditation, the experience of living in the world, but not being in the world, the experience of seeing your own false beliefs, seeing your own misperceptions, and willingly letting them go, right? These are the things that count. These are the things that get you somewhere not the intellectual understanding, although the intellectual understanding is needed in order for you to get to those points, the practice points. So let's see what I wrote in my journal for 212. Ah, again, here I am. <laughs> here I am at the end of um, step one, and it looks like I learned the lesson. It says a different path is being chosen now. It is not the path of teaching learning. It leaves all teaching learning behind. It is the unchartered path of undefined guidance, intuition, and grace. So again, what I was realizing, and remember this was back in 2012, this was back even before uh, Awakening Together had formed. What I'm realizing here is there's nothing else for me to learn. Right, I have done that. That phase for me is over. Um, and in fact, what I wrote for 213 is one must do this work if one wants to realize the truth that will be uncovered. And I use the word work, but what I really mean is um, 
practice and focus. Um, so a shift did occur for me. Uh, I no longer wanted to learn truth when I finished step one. And again, that's the purpose of step one. So it worked. <laughs> and that takes us into step two. And out of the stillness, I've called step two, accept the world is not real, you know, accept that. And the objective that Michael Langford has written into the seven steps to awakening for step two says, know that the world is a dreamlike illusion. Know that all of the following are dreamlike illusions. The world, the body, the universe, all dimensions, all events, motions, and actions, and time. Almost all of the words in the dictionary describe dreamlike illusions. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I don't know exactly how I felt back in 2012 when I went from step one to step two, but this is what's coming up from, for me now. So maybe this was how I felt. Um, what's coming up for me now is this feeling of, it's like a memory, but I'm not sure it's a memory. So I don't want to lie to you. I want to say this is maybe how I felt. Um, like shit, you know, like sh shit. Uh, I just giving up learning. I've just given up intellectual understanding. Uh, I think it would have felt safe to intellectually understand the world is not real. But when I had stepped into, okay, I'm done with intellectual learning. Now I want experience. To read that next is pretty damn scary. I think Shauna gets it. She's laughing. <laughs> I think she gets it. It's like, shit. You know, it's almost like that's not fair right after you give up intellectual learning for that to be the next obje objective, but it is. So what will be interesting as we go through step two is to notice how, as I'm contemplating, I am now looking for the experience, you know, an actual experience of seeing that the world is not real because I don't, I've given up intellectual knowledge. You know, knowing intellectually that that's the teaching is useless. I have to have an experience of this. Uh, and so that's what we're going to see as we're looking at what happens in step two, is we're going to see me looking for the actual experience of the world not being real. And... Yeah, I'm getting, a, I'm getting you know, these little things pop up and tell me 30 minutes before I do something, what I have to do. And it's popping up and telling me that in 30 minutes, I got to write you an email, Shauna, with my covenant recommendations. <laughs> so you can watch for that this afternoon. That's what I'll be doing when I finish teaching. All right. So the very first quote we're going to look at is the very first quote under step two. It's number 214. From your true being as awareness, alienated and deluded, do not pursue appearances, deeming them as real. <laughs> yeah, like I said, some of these sentences are not super clear when you first read them. From your true being as awareness, alienated and deluded, do not pursue appearances, deeming them as real. They are false, since disappear they must. 
but your own being as awareness is real and cannot cease to be. So let's jump over and uh, look at the contemplation of this. <clears throat> it is time for withdrawal from the world. One cannot remain fully invested in the world and see that it is illusion also. One must pull back from that investment. Let mind attention be interested only in diving inward towards silence. <clears throat> Seeing obstacles and removing them as they emerge. Let current moment guidance pull the strings of the puppet body without letting the puppet's movements distract from the function of inner focus. So uh, you could say this was my plan. You know, uh, I, I had to come to the experience of the world not being real. And so when I looked at quote 214 and contemplated it, I came up with a strategy to help me have that experience. Oh, somebody's asking, can we play the meditations on my playlist? Yeah, sure. There's no reason why you couldn't. Um, I think there's a few Regina Don Akers channels out there, some that have been abandoned over time. <laughs> so uh, so the current one, um, let me see. I think it's uh, YouTube. I think this is how YouTube does it. Slash and then at Regina Don Acres, Colorado. I had to come up with a different name because it said Regina Don Acres was already used. Oops, I spelled it wrong. That should be Regina Don Acres, Colorado. I think that's how YouTube does their addresses. Um, does somebody want to go try that and make sure that works? And if not, we'll figure it out. I think it's YouTube slash at Regina Don Acres, Colorado. I think that's my current channel that I use. I have like 45 subscribers. It's a really popular channel. <laughs> It's just my personal goofing off, you know, for me channel. It's not meant, you know, I'm not teaching from the channel. Um, but if anybody wants to go use the things that I put there, you may. And let us know if that worked, that address. If not, we'll figure out what the address is. Um, so again, I, I needed to come up with a strategy. And the first thing I saw as I contemplated quote number 214, from your true being as awareness, alienated and deluded. You know, so what's interesting is this is saying, at least this is the way I read it, your awareness only, but you don't know that yet. You're alienated and deluded from yourself because you don't know who you are. Not truly alienated and deluded, but that's the experience, right? So from this experience of being alienated and deluded from your true self, do not pursue appearances, deeming them as real. That's the strategy right there. I mean, it's written right there in the very first quote. How, how am I going to get to where I have an actual experience of the world not being real? Well, the first thing I have to do is detach from the world. If I see everything in the world as super important, if I see 
my life and what's going in in my life is super important, important, I'm not going to get to that experience. So this was the first realization that I had. Now, of course, you know that having that realization and detaching from the world did not happen simultaneously, right? There was practice that followed. Uh, but if you were to go on and read all of Out of the Stillness, you will find that this realization only deepened. It never was abandoned. In fact, what it advances to is um, I cannot have a self-will at all. If, I, if there's anything that I want my way, I'm attached to the world. Right. And so and so you'll notice as you as you read out of the stillness that this just deepens and deepens and deepens to where, you know, there need I can't be attached to anything in the world. I can't want anything in the world. Because if I do, I'm going to make it seem real to me. I have to be willing to let everything be as it is. I need to accept or even better yet, love everything as it is. Right. And this is this this will detach me from the world so that I can see that it's not real. So from your true being as awareness alienated and deluded, do not pursue appearances, deeming them as real. Right. Just don't do that. <laughs> it's not the clearest sentence in the world. You have to think about what it means. That's what it says. It says don't do that. Um, okay, so somebody did put in the address, sign up, put in the address. It's https colon slash slash www.youtube.com and then slash at Regina Don Acres, Colorado. Okay, so it's youtube.com slash at Regina Don Acres, Colorado. Thank you, Sina. All right, so again, looking back at my strategy for how am I gonna have this experience of the world not being real? It is time for withdrawal from the world. One cannot remain fully invested in the world and see that it is illusion also. One must pull back from that investment. Notice I didn't even see this as an option. You know, this is something that has to happen now. If I'm gonna give up, the spiritual path is an intellectual learning and go into the experience. I need to let go of the world, right? It's just the nat natural next step. So again, more specifically then the strategy, let mind attention be interested only in diving inward towards silence in seeing obstacles and removing them as they emerge. Let current moment guidance pull the strings of the puppet body without letting the puppet's movements distract from the function of inner focus. So that's my plan. So one is meditation, right? That's one. Two is mind watching, continuing to be aware when am I attached to the world? When am I misperceiving? When am I wanting something my way, noticing it so that I can let it go? And then the third thing is 
letting guidance lead in all things rather than my thinking. And let me just give you a little example of what that feels like for me now. Um, I don't think about the future in the way I used to, which is kind of funny because used to, I, I was always in the future. I took some personality test once and it said that I was a future oriented person. Um, but it was about a year and a half ago uh, when the future kind of just fell away from me, literally. And uh, I had some very odd experiences following that. Like, even though the future had fallen away, the mind hadn't given up on it yet. And so the mind would say things like, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this. And then I'd find out that's not the direction I went and that's not what I did. <laughs> it was just kind of funny. And, and I had this experience over and over and over again until I realized that mine still thought it could have a future, uh, but that connection, whatever the connection was between mine being able to make a plan and then that plan being carried out, <laughs> whatever that was, it's like it was broken. It no longer happened. Like it, it, it just didn't happen. What happened was this body was just gonna do whatever this body was gonna do. And mine had no way of knowing in advance what that was. And this experience of mine being wrong about the future, that lasted six to nine months. I mean, so that was a lesson that took some time to learn that mine really just didn't know what the body was going to do next. Um, now, my experience is that I, I know I don't know, right? And so like this morning when I went to walk the dog, you know, used to, I would pick, oh, today's this kind of day. I want to take the dog here, right? This thinking would happen. Today, as I was getting ready to walk the dog, I just suddenly knew where to go. And I got in the car and drove there. Uh, but the mind is no longer trying to figure out the future. The mind waits now. That's what's interesting. The mind waits now until it knows, right? So that's, that's the shift that has occurred over time. So in the beginning, there was the practice that was like the teaching in inner Ramana, you know, choosing to say, what am I to do now? Right. And getting very, very good at that. And that practice took years. Okay. I don't want you to think I, I did it the first time and it was excellent. You know, learning to stop and ask instead of thinking. And then the next thing that happened was a miracle, the miracle where the future fell away, but mine still thought it could plan. And it saw over and over and over again that it was wrong, that every time it tried to say, this is what's going to happen next, it was wrong, like over and over and over and over and over again. And then uh, it got to the point where it just gave up. Mine just gave up and it knows it doesn't know. And it's okay with that, right? So when I read this, let current moment guidance pull the strings of the puppet body um, I just want you to know that this is something that can come into being your actual experience if you attempt to detach from making decisions on your own and choose to ask within for guidance. But just like 
in order to see that the world is not real, I can't be attached to the world, right? It, it, my attachment to the world is going to be an obstacle to seeing that it's not real. Having the body just moved by something beyond the mind, you won't see that unless you begin to detach from thinking the mind can plan and the mind can decide, right? It's the exact same type of relationship. And so this is the purpose for surrender. And this is what uh, the teachings of Inner Ramana explains clearly. Sometimes people think the purpose of surrender is, you know, to win over God's favor, you know, or to be good or, <laughs> or whatever else. Uh, the purpose of surrender and, and the teachings of Inner Ramana is very clear about this. The purpose of surrender is to detach from the mind. That's exactly what happened in my case over a period if i started if i started in a ramana in 2009 and it's only in the last year that mine gave up uh we're saying in my case that took how many years nearly 12 years it didn't happen overnight now for some people it could be faster for some people it could be slower right i mean there's no rules about that but the point is there was a a willingness, which included a practice to let go of being attached to mind. And that was why the surrender happened. Not to be good, not to, you know, do anything else. So, um, so again, let mind attention be interested only in. So this was the only thing I was to be interested in if I was going to learn that the world was not real. Number one, diving inward towards silence. So meditation was to become a primary goal. Number two, mind watching or bringing awareness to the mind, seeing the obstacles and removing them as they emerge. So as soon as I see, you know, I want, Ron to think my way about the furniture. I got to let it go, right? Seeing it and letting it go. The faster I can do it, the better, right? Seeing it and letting it go, seeing it and letting it go. Of course, some are harder to let go of, as you know, and that's where journaling comes in. Seeing obstacles and removing them as they emerge, and then letting current moment guidance pull the strings of the puppet body without letting the puppet's movements distract from the function of inner focus. That was my strategy. Notice there's nothing intellectual there, right? This is all practice and experience. So again, the very first quote in step two says, from your true being as awareness, alienated and deluded, do not pursue appearances, deeming them as real. They are false since disappear they must, but your own being as awareness is real and cannot cease to be. And I wrote, it is time for withdrawal from the world. One cannot remain fully invested in the world and see that it is illusion also. One must Pull back from the investment. Let mind attention be interested only in diving inward towards silence, seeing obstacles and removing them as they emerge. Let current moment guidance 
pull the strings of the puppet body without letting the puppet's movements distract from the function of inner focus. So that's 214. And the next one I have highlighted is 217. Oh, I love this. this is one of my favorite quotes. And in fact, I heard you talking last night, Sina, and you reminded me of this quote last night. Uh, when I read it, maybe you'll see why. <laughs> you said something last night that sounded a lot like this quote. It made me think of it. The empirical world of jostling names and forms is false and has no real existence in bright, full awareness. And here's the part that's kind of like what you said last night. Like a ring of fire formed in the dark, when one whirls a fast, a glowing joystick, tis an illusion mind created. So you're talking about spinning something really, really fast, and then it looks like it's all one. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. That's what this quote is talking about. So, so I actually thought about this quote last night while listening to you. Um, <clears throat> so the empirical world of jostling names and forms is false and has no real existence in bright, full awareness. What Sina was talking about last night was uh, in the 500 days when I introduced the four principles of God, uh, I show between the four principles of God that I used a dashed line. And I explained that there's a dashed line because they're not solid lines between each level, right? I mean, it's all God and there's passing through the spaces in the dashed lines. So Sina was talking about that, the dashes, the spaces. Well, what Ramana is saying here is that from the first principle of God, all that you see are the spaces. You know, from the fourth principle of God, we think there's these hard lines that separate the different levels. But from the first principle of God, when looking down, you, you're, you're not seeing the lines, you're seeing the spaces between the dashes, right? It's, it's a different perspective. And what you see is that everything is me, even though me isn't an actual word from that perspective, it's how we would express it in language. I am the first principle of God and everything is me. If everything is me, if everything is the first principle of God, it can't be a world full of books and pens and phones and people and beds and curtains. And, you know, it's either all me or it's not. You understand? So what Raman is saying is from that first principle of God, you know, looking out or down or however you want to word this, all you see is the first principle of God. So the empirical world of jostling names and forms is false and has no real existence in bright, full awareness. And then he uses the symbol that Sina used last night. Like a ring of fire formed in the dark when one whirls a fast glowing joystick. In our case, think of when you were a kid and you had a sparkler. You remember the sparklers on the 4th of July? And you could spin the sparklers really, really fast. I don't know if you did this. And it looked like a circle of light, right? But that circle of light wasn't really there. It was just the illusion of spinning that, that sparkler really, really fast. So he's talking about the same thing. Like a ring of fire formed in the dark when one whirls a fast glowing joystick, tis an illusion, mind created. In other words, mind sees that circle of light, but there isn't actually a circle of light. Um, 
what's really happening if we could slow it down you know when you're spinning the sparkler they're like light here then light here then light here then light here right like a cartoon like a cartoon is all these different frames but then when they run it through the projector really fast it looks like one thing and if you all have listened to my teachings in the past including clarifying the teachings you heard me talk about the big bang experience that i had where i saw that the world isn't a constant experience that it actually that the big bang continues to occur right now and that it you know it's just bang 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 faster than i can do this of course just like a cartoon or like a swinging jostle stick right and that the appearance comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. Right. And so it is just like those dashed lines, Sina. What happens is from the fourth principle, we're, we're focused on the coming. And we see it as constant. But from the first principle, there's more focus on the gone. The not there. The spaces between the lines, right? And there is no world. You see, it's just an illusion of the mind. See, the coming is the illusion of the mind. The going is the truth. Okay. So again, listen to this quote now that you've heard that. The empirical world of jostling names and forms is false and has no real existence in bright, full awareness. Like a ring of fire formed in the dark, when one whirls a fast, whirls fast a glowing jostick, tis an illusion, mind created. What a perfect description. You know, Ramana must have had the Big Bang experience too. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> that's such a perfect description. Of course, a lot of people read that and don't understand that. So here's what I wrote when contemplating this for number 217. What is an illusion? I started there. You know, uh, I had, and some of you guys have learned this from me now because I taught it since then, but this is where I learned it, okay? <laughs> so, in fact, I haven't yet had the realization of the four principles of God that comes later this year in 2012. So what we're seeing is me building up to that realization. Um, building up to that experience of no world. Isn't that amazing? Um, so the first thing I stopped and asked myself after reading this quote is what is an illusion? You know, for the past, see, uh, eight years, uh, I've been reading in A Course in Miracles and other things that the world is an illusion, but I had never stopped to ask myself, what the heck does that word mean? You know, so I, I looked it up is what I did here. And here's the answer that I got. What is an illusion? It is something that can be sensed, although it isn't what it appears to be. I got that right out of the dictionary. And I teach it now, or at least you all teach it now in the four principles of God when you teach that retreat. What is an illusion? It is something that can be sensed, although it isn't what it appears to be. Uh, that was an insight right there. I mean, then that made perfect sense with this swinging jostling stick or swinging sparkler. You know, you can see the circle, but it isn't there. 
And I think I was listening to Anne, I think it was Sunday night when she was doing this interview with that guy. You guys talked about how the rainbow isn't really there, right? So there are things that we can see that we have, we know aren't really there. A mirage on a highway, we've learned over and over and over again, it isn't really there. So these are examples of illusions. What's really interesting about this is it can be sensed. It can be seen or within the case of the world, it can also be smelled, it can be tasted, it can be heard, it can be touched, but it isn't there. You know, we take the senses to be something that can teach us fact, but we also have proof that that is not always true. The sun does not rise in the morning and set in the evening. The sun stays in one place all the time. The moon doesn't move around the world. I mean, we have, we, we know, we actually know that just because it's perceived that way, that doesn't make it true. But we need to bring that in deeper if we're going to have the experience of the world not being real. We need to stop believing that our senses are proof of fact. This is another part of the strategy. So what is an illusion? It is something that can be sensed although it isn't what it appears to be. When this is realized, it must also be understood then that sensing something is, is not evidence of its reality. Wow, I think that's a good place for us to stop. Because that's, you know, I mean, we have this I am bad belief, right? I am unworthy, I am guilty, whatever. Well, this is just another belief. The belief that if I see it, in fact, we have a saying, seeing is believing. And what that saying points to is if I see it, it's true. That's just a belief. And if we don't get past that belief, we're not going to see that the world isn't real. So with that, I am done. And I will see you all in two weeks. Helen Hamilton will be here next week. Okay. Bye.